Take it, Jason. Take it. Take it. Nelson. Police search warrant down on the ground. Police search warrant down on the ground. Police search warrant down on the ground. Clear. Copy that, Demon's Basement's clear. First floor is clear. No, it's not Hollywood. These sounds are typical in the life of our guest. A trauma surgeon finds time to be a member of a SWAT team. Why? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Dr. Andrew Dennis. Dr. Dennis is an attending surgeon in the trauma unit at John H. Stroger Jr. Cook County Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, and he's chairman of the Department of Surgery at Midwest University Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine in Donner's Grove, Illinois. Dr. Dennis is also a sworn police officer and medical director of two Chicago area SWAT teams. Welcome, Dr. Dennis. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. To begin with, what led you to become a police officer on a SWAT team, already being a trauma surgeon in your day job? Um, You know... (laughs) I'm probably the one who's lived most boyhood dreams, just shy of being an astronaut lately. I worked in law enforcement, EMS, and fire before I was a physician. And I actually worked my way through medical school in the public safety sector. So it was an easy transition. When I was a resident, I was asked to consider going back into law enforcement as part of SWAT. They were looking for some medical support, specifically a physician. And I was crazy enough to take them up on their offer. So how did you get your training? You're a resident, the way I understand it, and now you're going to get some training to be a police officer at the same time? Correct. I was a resident at the time when they asked me. I was a fourth-year resident. And at the time, I declined, saying I was, just didn't have time because as a surgical resident, there was at that point where there was no 80-hour work restrictions, there was just no possible way for me to go through the police academy, go through basic SWAT school, etc., So what I did was I deferred their offer until my fellowship, which was uh, at Cook County Hospital. And during that time, my uh, fellowship attendings were very willing to work with me on this. So I went through the police academy while I was in fellowship and doing my trauma and burns fellowship. After that, I completed basic SWAT school, basic and then advanced SWAT school, and then a number of other schools since then to complement my law enforcement training. You know, I did some of my training at Cook County Hospital, and the emergency room was always filled with police officers, some of whom you became very close with. Did that relationship have something to do with reinforcing this desire to be part of this other team? I think that, as my wife will tell you, I think she considers me to have an overwhelming sense of pathologic sense of duty and loyalty, I guess. I do. You know, having been the police in my past life and public safety throughout, I have a love for that side of the world, that side of medicine. It was an easy fit for me. And you're right, as being a trauma surgeon at county, we take care of a lot of police officers. And there's nothing that tugs at your heartstrings worse than a police officer being injured or especially shot or killed. So it was very complimentary to what I envisioned myself doing as a trauma surgeon, staying involved in EMS and law enforcement and pre-hospital. Uh, at the same time, working to a goal to keep the guys who put their lives in the line to protect us safe. You know, you use the word complimentary. Do you see the skill set of a trauma surgeon and that of a medical officer at a crime scene being somewhat dovetailing with each other? You know, I do. To be a trauma surgeon, to be a police officer, I think you have very similar skill sets. You learn to read people. You learn to read patients. And when a patient comes into the trauma unit, you 
take a quick look at that person, and in my mind, I gauge whether that person is sick or not sick, i.e., are they dying or are they not dying? And then I make my decisions as far as what to do, how to work up from there. When I'm functioning as a police officer, or if I look at any other police officers that function as that role on a full-time basis through day-to-day encounters, they're forced to make very similar decisions. They read people. You learn to read situations, you learn to read people. I think that those two skill sets are very complementary, and I think that they do. They work well together. They're different, very different, but they really, truly are very similar. When you were in the emergency room, Dr. Dennis, did you ever see cases that if there had been a trauma surgeon on the scene, the clinical results might have been better? I can't tell you that there's one instance that drove me to say I want to be a SWAT surgeon. It was something that was that interested me personally relative to tactical teams and SWAT. Whether there was one instance, I, I can't recollect that one specific there. I can tell you instances around the country where having a surgeon on scene has made the difference between life or death for that police officer. One case was in Dallas two years ago where the uh, surgical resident at the time who was attached to the the SWAT team in Dallas saved one of the commander's lives by doing an emergency airway, surgical airway. Are they collecting data on this? I mean, this is one example, and certainly one life is worth all the trauma surgeons you might have in the scene throughout the United States, but are they collecting data? We do collect a little bit of data. It's a very tough thing to look at, but the data that I think that's being collected is more relative to things like less lethal weapons, and and both my teams participate in a number of collection databases and studies. One is for less lethal munitions and injury patterns and things like that that are associated with that. The other is work hours and performance. The other is heart rate and performance. But I don't think anyone per se is really collecting data as to whether or not there's a true advantage or disadvantage to having a surgeon. Now, I think there's an advantage, no matter what, to have embedded medical support. And most likely that will be more often than not a paramedic or an EMT. For the 98% of what the medical role for embedded medical support to SWAT would be, it would be basic life support maneuvers. So I don't think you do need a doctor, no. Does a doctor certainly help for things like morale? Absolutely. I mean, both teams love to say, well, we have a trauma surgeon attached to our team. They feel a little more comfortable. They feel that they may have a better chance of survival should I be there. My medics, it's not just me. It's much bigger than me. I supervise medics as on-scene medical control on both teams, and those are ALS and BLS teams. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Dr. Andrew Dennis. Dr. Dennis is an attending surgeon in the trauma unit at John H. Stroger Cook County Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, and chairman of the Department of Surgery at Midwest University Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine in Downers Grove, Illinois, Dr. Dennis is also a sworn police officer and medical director of two Chicago-area SWAT teams. What kind of things do you do? If we just leap ahead to you being called, I imagine you could be called at home or even from the hospital, what does your role become? You've just said that the morale would certainly be high having a trained trauma surgeon there. What is your role likely to be, though? The role, and this is not just me, there are a lot of docs that donate their time to work with police departments. The role of medical director or embedded medical support is multifold. It includes really the mission support in order to maintain the team at optimal operating health, let's say. 
So I see it no different than uh, a flight surgeon attached to a military air squadron. My job is to make sure that we maintain a level of readiness, that everyone's up to date on their vaccinations, that they are functioning appropriately with regards to the OSHA requirements for the team, because a lot of our teams work in personal protective equipment. For prolonged operations, making sure that we have food, latrine, make sure that the heat and cold intolerance is being monitored. And again, this is more than me. It's just, it includes the medics. But it's the overall state of health and readiness that goes with the team. That's the primary responsibility for the team doctor. If you add to that, the worst case scenario would be the trauma scenario where an officer is injured traumatically, or not only traumatically, but injured, for example, has an MI, which we've had on our teams, because a lot of these teams are not such young guys. So all these things put together weighs on the role of the trauma surgeon, or I should say the team physician. Have you done any education with the police officer themselves to develop some kind of procedures or things that they would not normally do because, after all, they're police officers, but you kind of train them to not be afraid to do something medically that they wouldn't necessarily do in a crisis situation? Yes, it's a great question. And we have developed, well, there's two things we've developed. One is we've developed a course called Medical Tactics for Law Enforcement. And all of my teams and many, many officers in Chicago have received this training, and it's designed to teach non-medically trained police officers how to save themselves. It's a very similar to the military tactical or combat lifesaver program. This is basically self-aid buddy aid for law enforcement officers, and that's been very successful, and it's been extremely important to give these police officers who more often than not have no medical training whatsoever some degree of confidence in managing life-threatening injuries should they be sustained to themselves, to colleagues, or to other civilians. I've seen a motto associated with your work, empower to survive, train to prevail. Could you elaborate on that? That motto came as part of the what's called Leo Medicus, or the Medical Tactics course. The Medical Tactics for Law Enforcement course was designed to give them a fundamental base of knowledge that was not intimidating, developed for adult learners, because most cops, when it comes down to it, are police officers because they did not want to be paramedics. And medical terminology, things like that, can be very intimidating to anyone. So we try to break down those barriers and empower each one of those individuals to basically control their destiny, his or her destiny, should he or she be injured. And because the majority of the time, what may be thought to be life-threatening is most likely not. And our motto, what we teach them is, you know, if at the time, if you're shot or stabbed, if you're not dead and you recognize that you're not dead, you're going to live most likely. And that's something that most people really don't understand because... If your only reference point is television, where the police officer or the bad guy gets shot and they go down, well, then you actually, more likely than not, will exhibit that type of reaction should something like that happen to you. In other words, on TV, we've been taught that you're shot and you go down. Just like cardiac arrests that happen on television, everybody survives. And we know even in the hospital, the percentages are low. So the perception of the public has been skewed by the media. It's very true, and it's just like video games, you know, can pre-program or precondition our kids to pull a trigger. The same thing goes for recognizing medical injuries. If you're preconditioned based on what you've seen on television or on video games to react a certain way, then you're going to react that way, and it's been demonstrated time and time again. So if you're a police officer and you get shot in the leg or the arm or even the chest in your ballistic vest, we've had people actually psychogenically get very close to dying because that's what they thought was going to happen to them. I think that there's a big issue with pre-programming and preconditioning that can be overcome 
by simply breaking down the fact from fiction. You now have trained your police officer through this program. Do they carry some kind of kit, suture material, a hemostat, something that they now feel comfortable in using until an ambulance arrives? All of my officers and about 2,000 officers in the Chicago region and nationally carry various different products. We put out a product called a TRIC, which stands for Trauma Rapid Intervention Kit. It's basically a basic life support vacuum-sealed little bag that they keep on their person that every one of these police officers knows that the other one has. And should they become injured, it's a go-to packet for them. It's sealed. You can't touch it. You can't break it until you need it. It's not a Band-Aid. You don't, you're not going to break it for Band-Aids. But what it has is, is certain things like a nasal airway, an Israeli battle dressing, which is a phenomenal device. It's a compression bandage. It has a big ABD pad, a couple pairs of gloves, some couple other things basically to stop or tamponade bleeding. It does not have drugs in it. It doesn't have anything that require any advanced life support measures. What I wanted to ask you, too, is on a more personal level, we've talked about you being a trauma surgeon and a police officer. How do you balance this personally in your own life? <laughs> That's another great question. You know, I'm doing this for your wife's benefit, really. Yeah, my wife is an obstetrician here in Chicago. Oh, and, so uh, she understands. <laughs> she understands, and she tolerates what I do. For me, it was, it's just, I guess it's my way of giving back, making sure that my law enforcement colleagues, you know, have a chance of going home at the end of the night and making sure that the medics that are with them are trained up and spun up to the best possible status they can be. But how to balance it, you know, it's an existence, any trauma surgeon's existence is one that works in the inner city. We exist in personal human tragedy all day long. And uh, that itself is, is a toll-taking issue. But how I do it, I have two great kids. I have a very supportive wife. I have other things that keep me busy when I'm not at work. But mostly, you know, I fall back to my family. I do a lot of teaching. But I'm probably more pathologic in that I don't shut down <laughs> like I probably should or as much as my wife would like me to. Well, I'd really like to thank Dr. Andrew Dennis for spending this time with us. As you have heard, he has a busy life both as a trauma surgeon and as a SWAT police officer. Dr. Dennis still makes house calls although I don't think it's the type of house call most doctors would want to make. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and on Twitter. And special thanks to 20 West Productions for the use of the audio from MSNBC's new law enforcement series, The Squeeze. Dr. Dennis works with the Cook County Sheriff's Department when he's not working in Stroger Hospital's trauma emergency room. Thank you for listening. <laughs>